Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. And we've got a good show for you today. We're going to take a deep dive into the two conference contenders, the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. A lot of people expecting part three of the Warriors and Cavs matchup. What can derail that? What's the state of these teams? We take a deeper look at them with some of the guys that cover them the most. Uh, Anthony Slater, who's the Warriors beat writer for the Bay Area News Group, the San Jose Mercury News. And Sam Amico, who covers the Cavs for Fox Sports Ohio. Each one of these guys is around their teams all season long. They've got great insight and great uh, thoughts on the state of each one of those teams. A uh, little housekeeping first. Uh, if you like this podcast, you can support it by going on iTunes, leaving a rating, posting a comment. Uh, all that stuff is great. It helps us keep this podcast going uh, week after week. All right, that's it. Let's go. We're starting this week with the uh, Golden State Warriors, and we're joined on the line now by Anthony Slater, the uh, terrific writer for the San Jose Mercury News. Anthony, last few years, been covering Kevin Durant in Oklahoma City, moved over to the Bay Area to cover the Warriors, and he joins me now up bright and early on this Tuesday morning uh, for the podcast. Anthony, thanks for getting up early, man. No problem, man. I'm already, uh, already made the early flight to Dallas, so... Um... Good weather out here, just standing outside in beautiful Dallas, Texas, and uh, ready to talk some hoops. Nice, nice. Uh, well, why don't we start with what you saw on uh, on Monday night, the final trip to Oklahoma City, second trip of the season for Golden State. And even though Kevin Durant didn't play, there was some chippiness uh, in that game. I mean, Steph Curry and Russell Westbrook, I mean, a little bit of a sidelight to the Kevin Durant drama has been, you know, Steph Curry, for whatever reason. Uh, yeah. Maybe you can elaborate on why, you know, you know, brought up uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook responded to Curry saying that Harden was the MVP with kind of a who's that uh, indication to it's Curry. What, how, how tense was that last night between uh, those two teams? Uh, surprisingly, more, maybe more tense than we would have expected. I think Durant added to it a little bit by coming out on the bench and kind of spicing the atmosphere up even more. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned it right there. Everyone kind of wants to focus on Durant Westbrook because there is such a rich history there. Uh, but the Steph, you know, Westbrook dynamics dates back a little bit too, especially last season is when I think it really cranked up where, um, you know, you remember in the playoffs when, uh, you know, Russ kind of snickered in the press conference when, when a reporter asked if Steph's defense was uh, underrated. 
Uh, and, you know, even just the way they're both viewed, they just have such different ways of being superstar point guards where, uh, you know, old school guys love Russ because they love, you know, the big athlete that, you know, he's a dog and, and everyone, uh, you know, the Oscar Robertsons of the world, remember last year how much they criticized Steph because, you know, it's more of a skilled type three-pointer uh, game that isn't old school to them. And just like the dichotomy of that, I think both view each other. I mean, I think Steph respects Russ, but I think in some ways Steph feels like Russ does not respect him the way he should. Um, and it spilled over a little bit on the court last night, and it spills over in the comments that, the you know, Steph calling Harden the MVP and then Russ saying, oh, well, who's he to, to basically say that? So um, similar to Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, you know, jabbering at each other in the first game back in Oklahoma City, that was a spillover between Russ and Curry last night. So the Warriors are obviously battling right now with, with Durant out of the lineup with the knee injury. But just before he went out, Anthony, where, where was this team? Where, how, how comfortable were they with each other? Um, what level were they playing at? Give me your kind of assessment of where Golden State was prior to Durant going out in that Washington game. Well, they, they were at a really good point, especially there was that one stretch early in the season where people were kind of, they, they had a really good record, but they hadn't beat anyone really good yet. And then they had that one week where they killed the Thunder at home killed the Cavaliers and then went on the road to Houston and killed them. It was three straight 20 point, like easy blowout wins. And it was like, wow, okay. They're finally humming at you know, full capacity, blowing everyone out. And then, you know, they got to that road trip that started in uh, Philadelphia where they got a win and it was going to DC and it was going to be a good test with this team at, you know, full tilt. Could they go on this like grueling, you know, eight day or eight game, 13 day road trip that Steve Kerr has told the entire world about how terrible it was. I mean, he set it up. Uh, but then the Durant injury happens, and they hit a re- you know really bad lull. They look tired, almost t- you know you could almost see the the uh, fatigue of two years of June trips to the finals and you know Olympics for a few of their stars. You could just see it kind of culminate on that trip. Curry and Thompson shoot a combined like twenty eight percent from three, uh, and you know they they hit this slump, which I think threw people off their scent. Like there were some major issues, and the truth is, I mean it was the fatigue. It was adjusting to not having Durant after having him. Uh, the rest of the season, then they go home, they blow three Eastern Conference teams out, then they come to Oklahoma City without Durant and blow them out last night. So uh, I think they're in a good place, but at the same time, they're going to have to readjust to the adjustment to Durant, if that makes any sense. It's like, you know, adjusting to him, adjusting without him, and and right before the playoffs, they're going to get him back, or they expect to get him back. Yeah, I I love Steve Kerr, but him suggesting or acting like every team in the league doesn't go through that type of trip is is kind of nonsense. I mean, <laughs> I mean San yeah, Antonio, no, well, San Antonio, you, they you did the rotary, rodeo trip. That, I mean, well, you you get you get a, such a massive payoff if you're the Warriors. They get eleven of their last sixteen at home, including six of the last seven, which is leading up into the playoffs. They're basically uh, their only time they're going to get on a plane from uh, late March into like late April because the first two playoff games are going to be at home. It's just a quick trip down to Phoenix and back. It's the only time they'll be on the road. If you're the Warriors, you you go on that grueling trip in March. You take that if you can get the payoff of late in the season, right before the playoffs, getting a rest up at home. So tell me about how you see Durant fitting in. As I mentioned, you covered this guy for multiple years uh, in Oklahoma City. Now he's in Golden State, new team, new surroundings, trying to adjust to playing with another player, uh, another point guard that's an MVP caliber player. What were the challenges for Kevin Durant early? And do you feel like he's evolved? In what ways has he evolved over the last few months? Yeah, um, I think the, the number one thing he's done impressively this season before the injury was the, the shot blocking, the defense. He kind of carried it over. He's all, he's always on the type that he's, he, you know, he's been a better defender than anyone's ever given him credit for. And, you know, that's probably true. He, he has been better defensively over the last five years than, than maybe his reputation says. Uh, but he really turned it up in the playoffs last year, particularly in the Warrior series when he was everywhere and just kind of terrorizing that Warriors offense. And part of the Warriors recruitment to him was like, hey, you can be that guy regularly. You you won't have to shoulder as much offensive load in Oklahoma City. So um, try to play that type of defense. And you know what? Everyone was worried about the team's rim protection coming in the year. Kevin Durant was a top 10 shot blocker in the league for a while, 1.8 per game. You know, he was meeting DeMar DeRozan at the rim. I can remember blocking his shot. He got LeBron one time pretty uh, in like a highlight version. He had games of five blocks, six blocks. While he's still doing the other stuff, which is being seven-footer, kind of being like a, a seven-foot Draymond Green in a sense, maybe not as intelligent a defender, but being able to get out on guards. And So what he did on that end was really impressive. Adjustment offensively, he hasn't really had to have much of one because he's stepping into more open shots. He's, you know, 
it's such a free flowing offense. He's he's running down on the break, and, and Clay Thompson and Curry are spreading the defense. And I don't know how many transition dunks he's had this season. I think he's still like sixth in the league in dunks. So um, that's been fine for him. The adjustment, to be honest, I thought was on the other side of it. I thought the Warriors had to adjust to him. Everyone kind of knows how Curry had to go through that. Um, and, and there was that point in December that culminated in the Christmas game where only, he only took 11 shots and Kerr called him really like unaggressive, kind of criticized him post game that Curry came back and said he wanted more pick and roll control. So the adjustment was Curry and really starting in January, he picked it up. And then from there, they were in a really good place until the Duran injury. And now they're kind of working things out again. You know, with with Steph Curry coming in, you knew there'd be some kind of, of adjustment there. Two guys that have been MVPs before, uh, elite players that are used to having the ball in their hands. What have you noticed about those two guys specifically and how they've been able to play together and how that's evolved over the year? You know, it's it's a little bit more of a your turn, my turn than I was expecting, you know, because that's kind of what it was uh, in Oklahoma City with him and Russ, and it was criticized at times. And, you know, there's been tough points this season where, I mean, the memorable one is Memphis when they're up 24 in the third. They blow this huge lead. The the offense is really awkward down the stretch, and then the memorable play is hit Durant with about 40 seconds left in the tie game, calling Curry off. Curry was coming over to do some type of pick and roll where they were going to spread Thompson out. And he just, you know, shoves Curry away. Says, and Draymond Green gets really mad. You can see Draymond Green getting mad in the play. Um, and he tries to take, you know, Zach Randolph one-on-one and shoots a fadeaway contested three. It was very Oklahoma City-like. And, um, you know, there was a lot of criticism for Durant after that game. And, you know, I think he took it to heart. Um, you haven't seen as much isolation. They still get their numbers. They're so incredible offensively. They, they space the floor for everyone else. They all pass so well. The assist numbers are incredible. But I've been pretty surprised the lack of pick and roll between those two. I mean, you, don't, you thought going into the season, man, imagine this doing a pick and roll where it's Curry or Durant really as a ball handler. You get teams, you know, moving around on a switch. You can pick and pop with either one. They can shoot it out to 30 feet. They can get to the rim. They're both creative finishers. Durant's a powerful finisher. Uh, but, I, you know, some people want to, like, Durant's not a very good screener, and that's kind of been a, a, a subject of why they haven't gone as much pick and roll. And they've kind of stayed with the Draymond Green version where he's diving and he's passing. So it's it's been maybe not as seamless as people expected, but at the same time, they're just such all-world offensive players that the numbers are still so great. I think you mentioned Green, and, and I think everyone kind of wondered who would be the player that was negatively affected by Durant. And if you're just looking purely at numbers, I mean, Draymond Green's numbers are down from last season, whether it's scoring, field goal percentage, uh, three-point percentage down, almost seven points from last season. Is that is that a Durant effect, or is there more to it with Draymond Green this year offensively? Well, I, yeah, I think some of the just the strict, you know, raw numbers is definitely the Durant effect. He's taking more shots away. He's taking more of just like the the rebound, uh, you know, rip and and go on the fast break control away from Draymond Green, uh, which Green's been fine with. I mean, he's kind of on this like defensive player of the year hype where he really. I remember the third game of the season, he made some incredible plays down the stretch in Phoenix, and after the game, it was the third game of the season, and he mentioned defensive player of the year. And it was like, okay, well, at least he's found something. That's kind of how the Warriors viewed it. Um, but offensively, I think you, you mentioned it within that question, which is uh, the, his three-point percentage is way down. When he moved himself up to about 38 39% from three last year, that's a huge jump for a guy who came to the league like not as a three-point shooter at all. If you're 39%, you're very league average. And that just kind of completed Draymond Green's game. But this year, back down to 32%, teams love leaving him wide open. And there's times where – he looks so, you know, he's such a confident guy in every facet of his game, but there's just times where he gets it wide open and he knows who's on the court with him, which is three of the greatest shooters ever. And he's sitting there like, I don't know if I should be shooting this. And uh, to see him at down at 32%. And it's not just him. I mean, Steph's at a career low. He's at around 40%, which is terrible for him. Uh, you know, Clay is, is down from last year. Durant's not shooting it that well. Uh, that's been the concern with this team. They're not shooting threes nearly as well as they did last year. I mean, the the green stuff, though, is so perplexing for the reasons you just said. I mean, he's wide open a lot of times. And Draymond Green, as you know better than anyone, he gets so offended when, when you, yeah. you, you kind of suggest that he's going to be the guy that's that's left open. It's like you're you're taking a personal shot at him by saying that teams are going to force him to beat you uh, in a game. But they are. And, you know, he hasn't proven quite yet that he can be that consistent. I mean, is it a mental thing with him? I mean, he, he was such a... Uh, a solid, uh, not great, but solid three-point shooter last year. Now that the numbers are just bad. 
Yeah, I think it's a mental thing, and it, it's kind of weird the way it works. Where you know, I can remember in Utah where um, he went like five of seven from three. It was his best three point shooting game of the year. And after the game, he blamed Quinn Snyder, and he blamed a comment that he heard pregame that his mother texted him from Quinn Snyder that was not derogatory at all. It was basically like, well, you know, we got to worry about Clay Thompson and Stephen Three. We can't worry about Draymond too much because he's such a creative, different type playmaker. And like, you know, Draymond just got that little quote that he thought was saying like, they don't want to worry about him from three. And he got really confident in his shot. He almost came out saying, you know, I'm going to shoot every open look. And, uh, you know, it, you didn't know it in the moment, but you're like, well, maybe it's just because he was inspired by Quinn Snyder to do it. Because most other times when maybe he can't find a pregame quote on Twitter that'll fire him up, he just he looks lost. He's had stretches this season where it's you know he'll hit one three in ten games, and then you know after that Utah game, if you look right around that clump of games, he he uh, I think he probably hit fifteen threes in about four games. So uh, it's I think it is a mental thing with him. Let me ask you about Zaza Pachulia with this team. One of my concerns, Anthony, with Pachulia was that after watching him in Dallas last year, the second half of the season, he really wore down. You know, the Mavericks played him a lot of minutes, I think, in that first half. He really wore down in the second half. Not so much this year. His numbers are actually up in the second half uh, since the All-Star break this season. I mean, how is it? I mean, is is Steve Kerr just using him maybe more judiciously? And and what's your evaluation of what Pachulia has done? Yeah. Um, so Zaza basically, um, you know, he, he's, he plays maybe 18 minutes a night. They have like six centers. And the truth is they started the year with seven centers. They've at this point cut bears out, but they have six potential center options that all have, they're all minimum type guys with, with severe flaws, but, but special skills to on the lob. David West is the veteran. James Michael McAdoo is the small ball five. They don't play any of them at power forward because they just play Draymond and Durant when everyone's healthy. And now Matt Barnes. Um, and so that's limited Pachulia to around, you know, 17, 18 minutes per game. Plus he's had these minor injuries this season. He had a little wrist issue that forced him to miss a couple weeks and a shoulder thing that forced him to miss about eight games. And, you know, I think that's kept him fresh. He's even mentioned coming back that, you know, I have my conditioning better this season. And then as far as the numbers going up, I think he's just had a comfort level early in the season that passes were surprising him. And it just, I think, I just think the movement of the offense was unlike anything he'd ever played in before with all these shooters and literally everyone on the floor could pass. And he just like, he just looked a bit lost in it. And then he hit January. And I think if you just look at his January numbers, that that's when he got super comfortable. He started finishing better. He's still so grounded as a center and, and, Shot blockers really give him trouble. Uh, so there is some concerns with him in the playoffs against certain teams, certain matchups. Uh, and he's, you know, he had a really bad game the other night where he kicked a chair and almost went NS Tanner and, and I, he only scraped up his shin and he ended up being fine. But uh, he's off and on. Certain matchups, they need to utilize him. If they get a series against like Memphis, I think Zaza Pachulia is hugely important just defensively against a front line like Memphis, but um, there's going to be series. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how much he'd play in a potential finals against Cleveland, to be honest, especially if Cleveland just tries to spread it. And we've seen the resuscitation of JaVale McGee. I mean, who would have thought that? Yeah, that's been stunning, but um, somewhat mildly predictable in the sense of, like, you couldn't script a better team for JaVale McGee to come to, which has, you know, it's, it's very, you know, loose and, and, and conducive to his personality. Uh, you got Andre Iguodala, who became friends with him in uh, Denver and really vouched for him. You know, hey, let's bring JaVale in. I think he could help. Uh, and, and, you know, Iguodala's kind of nurtured him into the environment. The teammates love him. And then on the court, look, everyone on the Warriors can pass. Everyone can space the floor, basically, or at least you have three of the greatest floor spacers ever. And defenses are just worried about those guys where you have free runs to the rim and you can just throw it in the air and they all, they're all accurate usually with their passes. It, he, he, when he plays in the lineup that is Curry, um, Thompson, Draymond, and, uh, with the four other all-stars who can all pass and can all shoot, he get, like the numbers are outrageous. All he does is just crush and lob. It's just one skill, but it works perfectly. And I mean, like I said, I guess we maybe should have predicted this, but who is really going to predict it? You know, Andre Iguodala, who you mentioned there, I mean, he's had or put together, you know, comparable years last year statistically, but some of the games I watch, Anthony, he has some really good games, and there are games, at least offensively, he just vanishes at times. I mean, is that a fair assessment of Iguodala, and what does the team say about what they're getting out of him and, and what they need out of him? Yeah, I think there was some concern early in the year, the Christmas game in Cleveland, and, and that's usually the thing with the Warriors, is like, you look at the losses a lot more than you look at the wins, but 
He had a bad game against Cleveland where he's so important in that matchup historically. He was at finals MVP a couple of years ago. Um, he, but I mean, his legs have looked better lately against uh, Atlanta. He had 24 points a season high. The other day he, against Orlando, he was like really beating everyone down on the fast break. I think he had five dunks in that game, which was his most in like five years. Uh, so I, I think they like where he's at, you know, fresh-wise. I think, I think they're a little bit worried they've had to overuse him a bit the last couple of weeks. He still looks good. He's, you know, this will be the third straight back-to-back. He's going to play both games tonight in Dallas. And, um, you know, I, I think they're fine where, they, where he's at, but they're also trying not to, to overload. I think that's their biggest concern. With Dur- as long as Durant's coming back, I think the second biggest concern is they don't want to overuse Iguodala. Uh, just looking ahead quickly to, to San Antonio, they get another matchup, their last matchup of the season with the Spurs next week. Uh, in all likelihood, Durant will not play in that game, so we won't get a clear indicator of, of how those two teams match up. But, I mean, San Antonio has kind of lurked as the, the, the boogeyman beater in the years past. I mean, they took out uh, Cleveland, broke up that team, basically, with how they finished uh, them off in the finals a couple of years ago. I mean, how big a threat is San Antonio right now to Golden State supremacy in the West? Um, threat partic- I mean, I think they're a threat to win the title. I mean, I think they're one of the few teams that you could legitimately say has a shot. It's interesting their matchup with the Warriors because we just don't have a good gauge of it. They played the literally the opening night of the season, Kevin Durant's first game as a Warrior, which and they beat him. Uh, they they killed him on the glass. Nineteen offensive rebounds. The Warriors turned it over a bunch of times, which is their two Achilles heels. You know, protecting the glass, turning it over, uh, and then Kawhi Leonard was the best player on the floor. And I think Kawhi Leonard would have to dominate a series against the Warriors for the Spurs to win that series. He can. You know, he's obviously been the best player on the floor with LeBron James in a final series when he won finals MVP. Uh, But I was just coming off a series last year where I watched basically the same Spurs team, uh, you know, sub Pau Gasol for Duncan, lose to the Thunder because Durant outplayed Kawhi Leonard, especially uh, in – it was uh, the Game 6 winner at home. The Game 4 where he – Durant had 17 in the fourth quarter, and Leonard went scoreless. So I think the Warriors like that aspect of the matchup, just similar to, to when they potentially faced LeBron in the finals, just that they have a small forward to go against these small forwards, which they didn't have in the past. With You know, Barnes, obviously solid player, having a good year with Dallas, but he wasn't the star to go throw up against the Kawhi Leonard and the LeBron James. They have that now, along with obviously all the other pieces that they've always had. So um, I would – lean towards the Warriors in that matchup just because I lean towards the Warriors in any matchup if they're fully healthy, but we don't know just because we haven't really seen Spurs Warriors like we've expected to the last few years because they didn't play in the playoffs last year, and their two games this year have been meaningless. So bottom line this for me, uh, you know, going into the postseason about a month away, how confident is this team with, with the group that it has? I mean, they're probably not going to have Durant till a week or two before the start of the playoffs. But, I mean, how confident are they going into this postseason with this group? I think they're confident because of games like the, the Thunder game that just happened in Oklahoma City where they know they're going to be – they're fired up for the Thunder game because they know the storyline around it. And when they're fired up and they play hard, they usually win. And, you know, they did it again last night. They're good in hostile environments. If you look at most of their losses this season, especially lately, it's just been tired legs. They're, you know, they're unfocused. They're tossing the ball around. They're not boxing out because they're just not really even attempting to box out well. They have pitfalls, but I think their confidence lies in the fact that they won a title. They won, you know, NBA record 73 games. Then they added one of the top, what, 25 best players in NBA history. They know they have the talent, and I think they know when they turn it up, nobody can beat them. Um, You know, but potentially, just like kind of happened last year, when they go up 3-1, and the confidence almost, uh, you know, was an Achilles heel in the finals last year. So they need to watch that, and they need to watch certain areas, the turnovers, the offensive rebounding. But they're, they're, they're very confident. Well, Anthony, I know it's a busy week, man. I appreciate taking some time to join me here on the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Chris. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with Chris Mannix. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans proudly supports The Vertical Podcast. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust who has your best interest in mind. And with Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent, online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial info to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home 
or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com slash audible. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org number 3030. Looking over in the Eastern Conference now, the Cleveland Cavaliers are once again in uh, first place in the conference, once again uh, favorites in the conference, but this could be a year where they could be challenged in the postseason. Boston's lurking, Washington's much improved, and Toronto, once they get Kyle Lowry back, they've proven that they can be a threat to the Cavaliers. To uh, talk more about the state of the Cavs, we'll bring in Sam Amico, the uh, longtime Cleveland Cavaliers uh, writer, now working for Fox Sports Ohio in Cleveland, and Sam joins me here uh, on the show. Sam, uh, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, all right, so let's just let's start with the issue, Sam, that's become topical uh, this week, which is resting players, and the Cavaliers have done it. You can certainly make the argument that they were part of the reason that the NBA responded as swiftly as it did with a memo from Adam Silver to all 30 NBA teams. What's, what do you, what's your understanding of Ty Lue's philosophy on resting players and, and how he kind of utilizes it? You know, he, he had said it from the start of training camp is that we're going to rest these guys occasionally, uh, particularly the big three of LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin, which actually I, I, I don't know that everybody knows that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love were actually hurting that game and held out for their injuries. Yeah, they probably would have played if it was a playoff game, but he, the idea wasn't to rest them on Saturday night. It was these guys just aren't ready to play. Kevin Love's coming off knee surgery. We're not going to play him on back-to-backs. Um, so really he, they rested LeBron James and, um, you know, that is a big issue. And I think the NBA being as upset as it is, is because people might forget that the week before the golden state warriors rested their four, you know, three of their three healthy players. So this just kind of piled it on, uh, two Saturdays in a row, national television game on ABC and, uh, you know, no LeBron James the week before, no Steph Curry. But Ty Lue has said, look, you know, we need to rest guys periodically throughout the season. We're going to do that with LeBron James. And he said it way back uh, in October. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for him as a coach, I know, to, to tell LeBron, number one, this is the night we're resting you. And, and number two, to pick the games that, um, that, that you know, you're deciding to, to sit them out. And along those lines, um, you know, Ty Lue, he took over a situation where, you know, the former coach, David Blatt, there's certainly a lot of evidence to suggest that he didn't have the full respect of the players. I mean, how would you characterize Ty Lue's relationship with the players? Uh, he's, he's, he has their respect. He has their respect more than any coach, particularly LeBron James, than, than any coach I've ever seen uh, LeBron have respect for. And, and he had a lot of respect for Eric Spolstra. But I just think in this situation, at least in Cleveland, since I've been covering the team, which is you know twelve years now, I, I see I've never seen LeBron respond to a coach this way. And Ty Lue, I've never seen a coach coach LeBron this way. And by that, I mean he'll get in his face sometimes. He'll tell him this is the way it's going to be, and LeBron respects that. He admires him as a person and as a tactician. And uh, I just think that they have a, a very tight tight bond and, and that and Ty Lue knows, you know, and he, he doesn't take advantage of it either. From what I can see, it's, it's very much, look, I'm, I'm in charge here, but I'm not going to, I'm not power hungry. It's just, we're going to do things my way. And, and, uh, you know, hopefully it, it should work. So, uh, everybody, and it's not just LeBron. If you get your number one star on board, then you get everybody else on board. And, you know, uh, I just haven't seen since I've been covering the team, uh, a coach that, that has the player's attention and the respect and, and really they're, they really like him um, and, and enjoy him and, and the staff. I, I haven't seen it before to this degree. All right. So coaching good place. Now we know anything that happens with Cleveland, it always begins with LeBron and how he plays And this year. Statistically, I mean, he has had one of his finer seasons, certainly his best season out of the last three. He's been in Cleveland, 26-something points, eight and a half rebounds, almost nine assists per game. I mean, uh, are the numbers reflective of, of the type of season he's having, Sam? And is he, you know, over these last three years, this LeBron's best season? Yeah, you know what? And this is the first year his back hasn't been bothering him even a little bit. Last season, it was bothering him. He's still getting the injections. 
you know, the steroid injections that you get when you have that kind of pain. Um, the year before it was bad. The year, the final year in Miami is when it really started to flare up. This year, everything, as far as everyone can tell, is good. Um, and, you know, so far, so uh, that really has been one of the reasons. He's just been more athletic, um, even at 32 years old, than he was last season. And, and it just is a little faster and, and it seems to have a little more explosiveness. And, you know, that said, he was already number one in scoring last year at, at points at the rim. So uh, I, I, he's even doing better in that area. Just stronger, more athletic, if you can believe that or not. And, I mean, let's face it, this team has been, you know, the, with the way David Griffin is continually adding pieces with Darren Williams and, uh, you know, Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith coming back healthy now, Kevin Love. This team is, is deeper than any team I think LeBron's played on in a long time, probably since his first time in Cleveland. Yeah, the number, though, that it stands out to me is the minutes per game, right around 38 uh, minutes per game this season. That seems like a big number to me. And and look, I know that LeBron is is a freak of nature, and you, you can't apply the same sort of standards to LeBron James as you do to other players. But this is a guy that's played two-plus seasons worth of playoff games, who has been one of the more remarkably healthy players of his career. I mean, how nervous, if at all, should the Cavaliers be about that number of minutes LeBron's playing this season? Well, you know, I think slightly nervous a, a little bit because you, again, he is 32 years old and those are, that's a high amount of time. You know, we, we also talk about the games he gets off to rest uh, at the same time. So that, that helps. And then if they sometimes will give him practice off or a little, you know, lighter practice for LeBron than maybe some of the other guys. Uh, and, and not just LeBron, but, you know, guys who could use the rest in practice, uh, maybe just some light shooting, maybe not coming to shoot around or at least not going, you know, crazy and shoot around and pregame and all that kind of stuff. There, he's really been selective and the Cavs have been selective in pushing him in those areas. And the game, yeah, you know, he wants to be out there. So that's that's kind of a tough thing to to do is – and we've seen how bad they've been sometimes when he's not playing or, or when he's out of the game for even stretches. So it's tempting to never take him out. But uh, they're, they're trying to work in, you know, hey, let's take it easy on shoot-around. Let's take it easy in practice. And, um, and, and of course, these rest games that have every, has everybody fired up. But, uh, but, you know, they're hopeful that, look, with three or four games left, we're going to have clinched the, the number one spot in the East. and and uh, he can just sit out those games. However, as you mentioned at the top, it may not work out that way because Boston and Washington play extremely well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, at some point, he's going to slow down. I don't know where that point's going to be, but he's 32 years old and you know a lot of miles on those tires. I mean, outside of the back problems, though, that he experienced the last couple of years, have you seen any sign of regression in LeBron, of, of you know a player that's, you know, not on the highest of levels anymore? No. You know, and it's amazing because this was the year I thought maybe he would slow down a little bit, but but he really, to me, this season looks just more explosive than he was last year, and that, to me, is pretty remarkable. But he does a lot of things in the offseason, um, you know, just like Michael Jordan used to and and keeping himself in shape and not just doing basketball stuff, but he does a lot of basketball stuff too, which helps him stay explosive. I mean, he is in the gym. We, we hear about his movies and commercials and TV shows and all that stuff in the summer. And that's, that's just fine. But he is a guy who is a basketball junkie who is in the gym because he just loves the game and wants to be there. And I think that that has helped him uh, continuously improve his skills as well as just, you know, obviously, maintaining his explosiveness but um yeah i mean at some point you know you would think that that he would he would slow down a little bit here but it sure has not happened yet yeah you think it was good for him to take that summer off and not go and play in the olympics oh yeah you know at this point in their career you know you saw carmelo anthony do it and that's fine but i just think um you know lebron has done it all in the olympics and and international competition and you know, he, he realizes that, hey, running out of time a little bit here, maybe have four or five years. Who knows? That's, that's what you think anyway. Um, and I just think that 
some of the, the the Olympics to me anymore for the younger guys. I, I just think that Durant and the and you know when you're pushing twenty eight, twenty nine, that's probably time to just say you know what. Uh, if you don't have a gold medal, or if you already have a gold medal, it's probably time to step away from that stuff because uh, that's that's like another you know half a basketball season, and you throw that in with the regular season of the playoffs. That's a that's a lot of full court physical basketball. Yeah, especially I mean, like you mentioned, when you go deep into the playoffs for back to back years, you don't need to be making that that kind of travel or doing that kind of trip. I mean, I, a guy like Carmelo Anthony, his season ends in April. I mean, he's got a couple of months off yeah. and go and play and. And ordinarily, I don't have I don't have an issue with guys, um, or I completely understand guys going to play in the Olympics because most guys are going to play anyway. But when you're a guy like LeBron or Steph Curry, you know, taking that time and decompressing uh, is a major positive for you. I, I think so. You know, it's pretty surprising to me that Tristan Thompson played for Team Canada last year, and I mean that they were getting going because they were in the qualifying tournament like two weeks after the reg- or I'm sorry, two weeks after the finals ended. So. Um, you know, and, and he, he's the NBA's current Ironman, so uh, he, he doesn't miss games and playing all the way till June. So somebody like that who's a little younger, yeah, maybe. But I just think when you're LeBron James, you already have a gold medal. Uh, you might as well just uh, kind of coast a little bit this summer. The, the biggest difference difference with the Cavs this year is is undoubtedly Kevin Love and the way he's played. And you know, an All Star in the first half of the season, the injury kept him out of the game and has kept him out of the last. Uh, month or so of action before recently coming back in the lineup, but you know he's a twenty point per game score once again. His rebounds are back in double digits. Uh, you know he's playing you know his best basketball since he's been in Cleveland. A three point shooting percentage up to around thirty eight percent, and you know he's just uh, he looks a lot more uh, Sam like Minnesota Kevin Love. Maybe not all the way there because he was you know what a twenty six point per game score at one point with the. Uh, the Timberwolves, but he looks like a totally different player. What's the difference that you've seen in Kevin Love this year? Confidence. You know, the the the, the big thing I think for him is emotional and mental. In that, there's no, you know, there have been no trade rumors. Well, I, I think that back. There was some of the Carmelo Anthony trade. Oh, there's always trade rumors with Kevin in, in February, but it wasn't as real as before to Kevin Love. I don't think. I I think that you know he said, "Look, I don't care about any of that stuff anymore. We won a championship." I got credit for my defense in the championship. I played well in the finals, and it was a reason we won. That you know, so I, I think that he just stopped caring about that stuff, stopped letting it get to him, and realized now, you know, hey, I'm a big part of what they're doing here, and I'm and and they plan to do it, plan to keep me as part of it for for a long time, and and it's just he, he's just a different player mentally, and I, I think anybody, I'm not a psychologist, but you can you can just do the simple eye test and see. He is much more confident, much more comfortable playing alongside these guys, much more comfortable under Ty Lue, and um, truly his best season in the three years in Cleveland without without question, even even with the injury. And, uh, I mean, he comes back two games later from the injury, 21 points, 15 rebounds against the Lakers. So, um, you know, I mean, he's just having that kind of year where just just so much more comfortable with everything that they're doing, knowing his spots, and... Um, just getting in, getting in a kind of a, a zone a little bit here and there, where he'll go off for ten, thirteen points at a time, and uh, just I, I just think he's just emotionally and mentally a, a different person, much more confident playing alongside these guys. And I think that he's having the kind of year that if he were in Minnesota right now, he would be averaging twenty six and fifteen. It's just he's got Kyrie and LeBron. You're not going to average twenty six points in that spot. Uh, so the fact that he's even averaging twenty is pretty remarkable right now. It seemed like the first couple of years there was almost an uneasy alliance between Kevin Love and LeBron. I always felt like LeBron wanted more from Kevin Love, would be you know, motivating in, in the variety of different ways that LeBron tends to motivate, but it just never it never seemed like they were completely on the same page. Have you noticed any difference in that relationship this year? Yeah, that's so you know, it was funny one time Kevin Love and it would have been the first year kinda of laughed and you know, joked and and but there was some serious to it seriousness to it in the locker room and said to me, uh, you know, Le- LeBron takes turns. He's either mad at me or Kyrie, and this is my week. Next week will be Kyrie's, and and, and Love and Kyrie had that joke between them. But now they're more like all three of them are much more intertwined. Particularly LeBron and and Love have been able to figure out that friendship relationship. They have a mutual respect and. LeBron knows that they need Kevin. 
and uh, really does a lot to lift him up. And uh, it's very evident that, yeah, they're much more connected uh, in the locker room. And it wasn't bad that first year. It's just LeBron, you know, he was coming to a new team in 2014. The Cavs were a new team. I mean, with Kyrie Irving, they were young, Deion Waiters. And he really felt like he had to kind of put his footprint on the team and and kind of toughen up some of these guys. I, I think he didn't have a lot of respect for Kyrie and Love's toughness. And I think now, here we are almost three years later, that he, he very much does. If you ask MVP voters, Sam, to rattle off their top MVPs, it's usually some combination of James Harden and Russell Westbrook, Kawhi Leonard uh, in that mix. Even Isaiah Thomas has worked his way into the conversation amongst people. I mean, LeBron, too, and I wouldn't be surprised this year if LeBron finishes fourth or fifth in the NBC, in the uh, MVP balloting, which is remarkable considering the type of year that he's had. Do you think it's voter fatigue, or is there some other reason that that voters might not give LeBron uh, the nod this season? It's hard to tell what the reason is. Um, you know, and, and that's not this, uh, a lot of guys are having spectacular seasons. I would say if you know the the true test that, uh, and I can't remember the the general manager who told me this years ago. But the true test is, if you put LeBron on those other teams, would they be as good? I think that they would. I think if you replace LeBron James with Kevin Durant, the Warriors would be every bit as good. They'd be even better. I think the same thing with the Boston Celtics, Isaiah Thomas. I think the same thing with even Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City for the season he's having, and, and James Harden in Houston. I don't know if you put those players on the Cavs. In fact, I think, I can almost guarantee if you put any of those guys on the Cavs, the Cavs would not be as good. So I, I think that that's the real test of an MVP. Now, you know, voters, these are our colleagues. Um, I typically don't ask why they're voting for guys, but I think that you can see it's just human nature that you kind of want somebody different every now and then. Yeah, I mean, and LeBron could certainly win it every season. So I, I think we all take that into consideration. But it's hard to take it away from a guy like Russell Westbrook who's having the kind of year he's having or James Harden totally reborn in Houston under Mike D'Antoni. Uh, th- those are guys who are new. And, of course, Kevin Durant, before the injury, um, truly was having an all-star season, was the best player on the on the team with the best record. So that, that has to be taken into consideration. And, and Kawhi Leonard, too. San Antonio, very ignored team nationally. Uh, Kawhi Leonard could make a case for the best all-around player in the league right now, too. He's really the one guy I would think, if you exchanged him and LeBron, it would be about even. So it wouldn't be uh, the Cavaliers unless there were some real drama. And last year it was David Blatt uh, getting fired midseason. Tyron Lue takes over. And and look, they they performed under Ty Lue towards the end of the season, into the playoffs. Um, you know, they, they played well, obviously, in culminating with the championship. Uh, this year it was the roster. It was LeBron pissed off at David Griffin and, and the front office and not adding talent to the roster, though I never really understood exactly what he expected Griffin to do. I think David did a phenomenal job in, in building that team up to the point uh, where it is. But tell me where you think this team is right now compared to where they were right around this time last year. I think they're better prepared for uh, uh, you know a championship run than they were last year, frankly. Um, but that said, I also think their other teams are better. I think that Boston's better. Uh, I think that Washington's better. I think that Toronto with Kyle Lowry has that Eastern Conference Finals playoff experience. They're better. And certainly Golden State with Kevin Durant is better. And, and San Antonio is at least every bit as good, if not better. So while I say the Cavs are better than the team that won the title, uh, I, I don't think that they think, you know what, it's a, they know it's not going to be any easy task. So, um, But they're definitely deep. I mean, Darren Williams is, a, is an upgrade over Matthew Dellavedova. Um you know, and, and, and Delhi did some very nice things for the franchise, but Darren Williams is just a better player. Um, and, you know, Kyle Korver, they didn't have a player like him coming off the bench last season to relieve LeBron and, and uh, fill it up from the outside off the bench. So I just think that they're all around better. Larry Sanders, we don't know how he's going to turn out, but um, they suspect he'll be a, a nice shot-blocking addition off the bench come playoff time. And if so, again... Just, they just have more depth and better depth this year than the team that won the championship. And I think after winning the title, LeBron, Kyrie, and Kevin Love, again, are more cohesive and, and therefore better than, than last season. 
It was amazing. There was like a two-month stretch where Matthew Della Vadova was like John Stockton. Like losing Della Vadova seemed like the most catastrophic thing that the Cavaliers could possibly have experienced. I mean, his name came up, Sam, like over and over again. The backup point guard. We need another guard. I mean, there's there's probably no better PR that was done for Matthew Della Vadova than what LeBron did for him over those two months of the year. Well, yeah, I mean, and it was, it was LeBron was right. They were desperate for a playmaker and a, and a backup point guard, and, and you know, really, all, all they had was Kate Felder uh, for the majority of the season. And I don't think anybody really expected to, to land Darren Williams. They were talking with the Sixers about C.J. McConnell and, and uh, some other kind of guys like that. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with C.J. McConnell. It's just they were looking, hoping that to, to land somebody uh, with Darren Williams' experience. He's been around a little bit, 32 years old, uh, who, who felt comfortable coming around in, in a backup role and uh, playing behind Kyrie Irving or playing next to him. And he's, you know, he's getting plenty of minutes already. He's fitting in pretty well. And um, he really, should they should they meet Golden State in the finals, he really gives them uh, somebody who can match up with Sean Livingston. And Livingston has given them problems in, in both series of the past two finals and the regular season. Real problems. They just haven't been able to find anybody to match up with them. Darren Williams a little bit stronger uh, and, and should be able to contain Livingston, believe it or not. That's That's been one of the biggest problems for the Cavs is that Warriors bench and that that uh, backup guard spot. So they they hope that they solve that with with uh, Darren Williams and of course Amon Shumpert, Kyle Korver, all being able to play in the backcourt. So you look at the um, the Eastern Conference playoff field, and you know everyone's kind of projecting the Warriors and it's the Cavs part three. And you know I'd be surprised, I guess, if it didn't happen. But as you mentioned, this is a a strong group of teams: Boston, Washington, Toronto. Um, you know, if you look at the matchups. What do you think is the most difficult matchup? Who's the team that gives the Cleveland the most trouble if they face him in the playoffs? Well, in the Eastern Conference, I would say Boston. Uh, Boston really is the most physical of those teams. And uh, Isaiah Thomas, of course, gives everybody fits, but he really gives them fits. Um, he just, he lights them up. <laughs> He's been doing it since Sacramento. I mean, he just gets fired up to play Kyrie. A lot of point guards do, but... Uh, that's a big problem for them. And then, you know, guys like Fowler and, and uh, now that they have Horford, they just, they're just they just a physical team. That And Brad Stevens, uh, just a very good X and O's guy. So, uh, and, and this is a team that's on the brink, on the brink. You know, I think that once the Cavs' little run here is finished, Boston will be the team that, that is broken through, you know. And, uh, I, I think Washington can give them fit sometimes, too. Um, you know, one, one of the teams, I think Washington beat them the first time, so it gave them their first home loss this season. So, you know, John Wall and Beal and those guys, they, they gave them problems too, but I don't think the Cavs would fear them as much uh, in a seven-game series. Boston will beat on the Cavs a little bit, and, and again, Thomas just gets the fits. And um, do I think Boston would win a seven-game series? No, but I think they beat the Cavs up pretty good along the way. Man, we haven't even touched on Kyrie Irving much at all. I mean, he has been so, you know, consistent for this team this year. I mean, his numbers across the board, all up. His play has been been fantastic all season long. Twenty five points, three points shooting up. Even his free throw percentage up above ninety for the first time in his career. I mean, is this just a natural progression from a player who, you know, you you can certainly make an argument at twenty four within the next three years, Kyrie Irving could be an MVP candidate. Yeah, I think it's. I think that's exactly it. Is it's part of a natural progression, but I think it's helped that he's played next to LeBron James. I think having a former point guard as this new head coach, or you know, not new, but last year and a half, uh, has helped immensely. And, and, and I think really any coach, a player will tell you that winning a championship just really changes your mentality and uh, gives you a different approach when you go out on the floor. It just gives you more confidence and. Uh, I just think he's got better, believe it or not, offensively. And uh, it really helps, of course, that he can play kind of easy and free and, and play off one of the greatest passing forwards ever in LeBron James. That, that just, it, you know, they just work well together. And you already have a guy who could go one-on-one in Kyrie Irving. But now you have somebody who's going to set him up in LeBron James and, and who believes in him even more. After winning the championship, I mean, let's face it, Kyrie Irving had the 
uh, Golden State and, and the Cavs both were, were three-point shooting teams last year, and nobody hit a bigger three-pointer last season than Kyrie Irving. And Game 7 of the NBA Finals, that was the biggest three-pointer of the year. So uh, I, I just think that he's an amazing individual talent who, while not the most athletic guy in the world, is, is extremely skilled, maybe the most skilled point guard. Just doesn't have the athleticism of a John Wall or Russell Westbrook but uh, his skills and his ball handling are just, and, and the way he's able to create shots and, and, and create space near the basket are, are just, you know, it's, it's something, if you're a basketball fan, it's something along the lines of Earl Monroe or some of the great point guards of, of our time, something that people are going to be talking about forever. So uh, he's just, yeah, he's continuing to grow, I think, and, and getting more skilled and, and if anything, playing, playing off LeBron James and winning a championship, all that stuff factors into this, you know, really career year for him. Well, Sam, great stuff. Uh, should be a fun postseason and a more competitive one than maybe we've seen in Cleveland for the last uh, last couple of years. Keep up the great work out there, and uh, thanks for taking some time to join me here on the podcast. All right, Chris. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm sure we'll talk soon. That's it for this week's episode. Uh, my thanks to Anthony Slater and Sam Amico for joining the show. A reminder, you can download archive podcasts on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, really anywhere you can download podcasts. While you're there, make sure you post a comment, leave us a rating. You know I appreciate it. And I'll see you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 